0: Today's show is sponsored by HostGator. HostGator is your one-stop website shop. HostGator makes it simple to get your professional website online quick. Plans start at just $3.47 per month. Let's face it, getting a good .com is hard to do. A .net domain powered by VeriSign, on the other hand, still has a ton of awesome names. You have your domain, now it's time to build your website. Use HostGator's drag-and-drop builder or WordPress. No need to code. HostGator makes it easy. Get your site up and running with just a few clicks. Head over to HostGator.com. Buy some hosting, get some .nets, and use coupon code WRITERS30, that's writers and the number 30, to get an extra 30% off and support this show. Please support this show by going to HostGator. That's HostGator.com, where you get a .net domain powered by VeriSign.
1: Now entering Nerdist.com.
0: It's the Nerdist Writers Panel on the Nerdist
1: Podcast Channel. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Yeah!
2: Welcome. Thank you. Hi, I'm Ashley Miller.
1: Hey, Kelly Marcel.
3: Kel Cahoon.
0: Thank you guys for being here. Please sit. Um, I'm going to stand for a little bit so I can see you. Some um, hilarious pratfalls with the uh, water bottle for a second. <laughs> yeah, does anyone else want to do any physical bits? <laughs> um, no? Okay. Let's get into it. Uh, the first thing I, I have some pressing questions about uh, each of you has worked in a television writer's room, correct? Yes. No. Um, haven't you? <laughs> really? No. You've never worked in television?
1: I have worked in television but before in a no writer's room. room. Uh-huh.
0: That'll
2: be a, it's a magical kind of place.
0: Thing. What, uh, there.
1: So I hear. Well,
0: let's let's talk about that for a second. Uh, what has your television experience been, Kelly? And uh, why was there no room? What's wrong with them?
1: There was a room. I just wasn't in it. <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs> what was your writer, your television experience?
1: Um, I created a TV show called Terra Nova, mm-hmm. um, uh, which was on Fox, and um, and then promptly left that television show, which is why I wasn't in the writers room. Oh, okay. So yeah.
0: you didn't actually work on the series, just on the. Mm, I just pilot. wrote the pilot, yeah. Okay. Um, and take us through. We actually this is a unique opportunity because we kind of picked up Terra Nova. We started doing these panels right when. Uh, the show was in, I think the pilot was in production, and we had David Fury on
2: yeah.
1: uh,
0: very early, and I think he was like the third or fourth writer on it, right?
1: He, yeah, I think he was the third. I think Brannon Braga was the only one that stayed mm-hmm. on the whole way through. Yeah. So there were a lot of people that left.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there really, uh, there's there a wake of bodies in yeah. the Terra Nova. It was uh, huge. Um, what, what was the experience like for you of writing that pilot and selling it?
1: it was amazing actually um, I hadn't uh, worked in the States before and so I had no idea what pitching for television was like or anything like that um, and I had the idea for Terra Nova and, and also um, another TV idea and, and sort of rather naively flew out to LA thinking yeah I can sell two TV shows That <laughs> is fine and, um, and, it, and it happened um, and so I, I didn't leave Terranova because I was having a bad time I think other people were but I, I didn't <laughs> Um, I, it was just because I wanted to do the other um, TV show. Oh, really? Yeah. What was the other show? The other show was a show called Westbridge, which actually um, I researched here in Texas because it's about the death penalty. So yeah, and that got picked up by Showtime, but we it never went series. Okay. So.
0: Um Let's let me go back to Terra Nova, and then I want to hear about pitching for a minute. But uh, what was the original concept for the show? What was what did your script look like?
1: Uh, there were no dinosaurs in it. <laughs> So uh, a little bit different than the <laughs> than the show that was on the television. Yeah. It was uh, much uh, sort of dirtier, more kind of Blade Runnery, and definitely didn't have people with computers and guns and cars that drove around, and didn't have any dinosaurs. So it was a it was a completely different show. How, tell us how this <laughs> happened? <laughs> Steven Spielberg comes on and produces it and says, I want to see lots of dinosaurs. And, <laughs> and that uh, guy loves dinosaurs. Yeah, he does. And I don't know anything about dinosaurs, so I was <laughs> like, I've got to go now. <laughs> Bye. Have fun, though. Um,
0: so uh, uh, tell me a little bit, and then, then we'll, we'll talk to you guys about uh, rooms you've been in specifically, but tell me a little bit about the pitching process for both of these shows.
1: Oh my Because it was all new
0: to you, right? Yeah,
1: it's a horrendous nightmare. It's like being a performing monkey for about 15 minutes. You literally go in and do a tap dance and act the show out. And then they sit there sort of blank-faced and you can't really read whether anybody likes what you're saying or not. <laughs> and then at the end of the meeting, they'll go, uh, okay, speak to you soon. And that's it. <laughs> and then you leave. And then you find out whether they wanted to buy it or not. And luckily, in my case, they did.
0: How, how long did your pitches take for these shows?
1: I, I tried to get them over with as quickly as possible. <laughs> it was so horrendous. It's so, so awful. I can't tell you. It's just horrible. What, what was
0: the worst part?
1: <laughs> um, just all of it. Absolutely all of it. Just all of it, of having to go, and then we're in the past, and there's fucking dinosaurs that you don't see in this show. <laughs> you, we mustn't see dinosaurs. Uh, it's just awful. The whole thing's horrible. Trying to explain an entire world, characters and everything, in about 15 minutes is complete nightmare. And you hadn't
0: scripted it beforehand, is that correct? I did script it beforehand. Oh, you beforehand. did? So you, yeah. but, but you so didn't just hand it Then it was even worse,
1: because it, it just sounded like I was reciting something. Yeah, yeah it was awful. Um,
0: Have you learned since then a way to make it easier on yourself?
1: Yes, I've never pitched another TV show again.
0: (laughs) It's a good technique. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's working. It doesn't lead to TV shows on the air, though. It (laughs) doesn't. No. Uh, Kel, let's uh, talk to you a moment um, about... You've worked in all kinds of rooms. um, Yes. And some really heavy-hitter comedy rooms. Uh, Has there one that, you know, for those who don't know or who aren't familiar with what a comedy room is like Is there one that's sort of a Prototypical comedy room
3: Gosh Prototypical Yeah one of those early ones perhaps uh, They varied I would say Just Shoot Me was probably a, a very At least in the 90s A prototypical room Was you know, In what ways? Well 12, Twelve Really insecure People <laughs> Sitting around a table Uh Just worrying, worrying if they're going to last throughout the day. How many times can I go to the bathroom and not have it seem like I'm doing what I'm doing, which is going and try to collect myself because I just think it's over. I'm not funny. Uh, Why did I do this?
0: Uh, How were episodes broken in that room? Or were they, were episodes broken? They were very much
3: broken in that room. That was very, you know, there's a big uh, dry erase board and... Whoever's running the room, you know, you, you have to have somebody that's running the room. Otherwise, nothing's going to happen. So somebody's, you know. And that's not always the person who has to um, use the magic marker to put beats up on the board. And that's usually a person who has good penmanship. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily somebody you want to be. Uh, so there's a lot of that angst about that, too. And But that's essentially what you do. Just slapping things up, erasing things. Uh, there was one guy at... Was that it? Just shoot me. I think it may have been. He was a ex um, U.S. attorney, and he was a very legal minded. He actually would uh, create the system called uh, Paza beats, like they could be possible beats, and then he put a little uh, trademark symbol like it. He just thought that was hilarious. And we we're just like, like we're all nerds, you know, in that situation. But he was a super nerd, and um, but actually, it was pretty good. What his method, you know, in retrospect, actually was pretty good. Um, Would that be, I mean, when you're coming up with beats, and I'm thinking more
0: towards the beginning of seasons, because you guys were doing like 24 episodes, mm-hmm, right? Yeah. Which is crazy, especially by today's standards. Um, when you were doing these, putting down these beats at the beginning of a season, was it? were they kind of formless? Like, had the episodes started to take shape? What were the showrunners coming in with as far as what they wanted to do that year?
3: Well, typically they'd say, you know, if you're especially if you're coming back from a prior season, they'd say, everybody come in with five or ten ideas. For episodes? For episodes, yeah. And then people would go around the table, and well, or or somebody would say, well, I'll go first, which was a big mistake because everybody, they always hated the first batch of ideas. They pretty much hated everybody's ideas. So that was a bad day. Uh, The first day was always a bad day. But then there might be a little something hanging in the air that we would work on, and the showrunners obviously say, well, what about this? And then we'd work on their ideas because they're running the show. But occasionally, yeah, you know, you would you would... You would have some areas. We'd start out with cards, and somebody would just have like a one line or a couple words, you know, some funny character or something, and that would go up on a board. You know, let's just marinate on that. So it really was sort of free form. They would always, you know, try to have a couple ideas, and the first week or two is always spent on an inordinate amount of time on one idea that may or may not make it, and then you get to panicking, and then you have to get something going. uh, and then, so once the episodes start to take
0: shape, how were they assigned to staff?
3: Well, if you pitched a area, then you typically were assigned. You, you got that. And, but it always varied. It just varied so much. Uh, but tip that would be the best ways. like if you kind of came up with an area or you had an idea about an area and showed enthusiasm for an area that, you, you know, you might, particularly if you were not necessarily, if you were, had been in the, game a little while you know you were at a higher level or so Uh, and then after that was
0: it sort of the typical comedy writers room like you'd go off write your script and come back and the room would take it
3: apart oh yeah (laughs) yeah yeah tell Uh,
0: tell these folks a little bit about that Uh, they may be unfamiliar
3: well yeah it's a this, this this it's a machine it's a grinding machine and you're always at some stage of being ground up uh Sounds get fun. Get into TV, you guys. Yeah, but, again, th- but you get, you get a rewarding. lot of free snacks, and, you know, <laughs> so in the end, it's worth it. Um, no, you know, you, 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 you take what's on the board, which will be, you know, all the beats, and um, you'll do an outline, and then that'll come back in, and then, you know, people will all uh, pee on it, as it were, and... On, at the outline phase? Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Oh yeah, you know. It depends. I mean, sometimes you'll have a rock solid outline and that's that's a great day. But, but even the uh, outline went back through the Always, room. always. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and and then you know, you would go off and write a, a draft and depending on how much time you have, you would crank a draft out and then that would get notes and then you know, every step of the way, particularly in a sitcom, you would, you know, uh, at some point you bring it to the room and then there'd be rewriting in the room and then on the show like King of the Hill, which is an animated show, you would do uh, you would even have punch-up on it, and some writers would go off and pitch three alternative, ter- alternatives for a particular joke, and then the showrunners would pick that. That one, actually, just not to slam, just shoot me, but King of the Hill was a really fun place to write. I, I loved that. I'm from Texas, so I, I particularly love that, but it was a very, very fun show and a lot of really funny people, and you, there were so many writers, and animation is so... Um, Labor-intensive that you you're always having three or four rooms going at once, so you have smaller rooms, which is always um, uh, more preferable yeah. to 12 anxious people sitting in a room. Instead, you'll have like four or five. And yeah. much at more what lighter. point do you
0: think a room starts to get too big? Seven.
3: Yeah, yeah. we can all agree. That's in stone, <laughs> by the way. You can you can borrow money on that. Seven is the number. If you go above seven, it all falls apart. Prior to that, six is really good.
0: Uh, and then were you guys on Just Shoot Me, uh, were you sent to set to
3: produce as well? We always went on those, on the sitcoms. Again, those, there's, there's so few of these uh, multi-camera sitcoms, but you have uh, what they call run-throughs. And so, you know, you have a table read on Monday morning where the actors come in and read the script. And then uh, people aren't laughing or there's, you know, the executives are unhappy and they all have to give notes. And everybody's like, it's going to be a late night. And then, uh, let's see, I think Wednesday you do another run-through for the studio. They give notes, and that's you, you, know, you, w- you work with the actors some, do it again on Thursday, and then you put it up on Friday. Um, so in a sitcom, you could do a lot of late nights if it's been a particularly difficult week. Did you guys do a lot of rewrites on the fly at, during the shoot? Yes, we, we, depending on which show it was, but we would definitely, on shoot night, if a joke wasn't working, uh, you'd have to gather in a huddle and people would throw things out like this. And I found that all you had to do is say a, 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 a line that ended in sarcophagus. And that would immediately go in. That's hilarious. And the audience would laugh. Even if it made no sense, if it wasn't funny, it didn't matter. They heard sarcophagus and they just sort of instinctively laughed. And, and then you'd see it in the edit and you go, well, that's just not funny. That's just ridiculous. So that's not the best. Sometimes, though, there's some people that are really, really good at it that can just fire off four jokes and one of them is great. Yeah. It's a whole different skill set. It I is mean, a totally different skill each set.
0: Each of these kind of is, but right. that's that's a particular sort of skill. It's interesting. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, did you did you enjoy
0: that aspect of it, or was that tough for you?
3: I didn't know how drunk I was. If I, <laughs> you know, it's just, just the, the right amount of of, uh, of drinks, gone. and it'd be this is awesome. <laughs> now, you know, sometimes when you when you nailed it, it was great. That's a great feeling. It's like you know hitting you know, bowling a strike or something. But. Uh, Again, it's very nerve-wracking because, you know, you, everybody's competing in that moment. And it's a very distinct moment when everybody is competing yeah. to come up with the joke.
0: Was it like that in the
3: rooms as well during oh, these yeah, punch-up oh, sessions? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That, that can be oh, yeah. overwhelming. Oh, yeah. A bit. And uh, I wasn't there this year, but one year, uh, the showrunner, uh, it, it was a late night. And this was just a terrible thing to do. He, he put people's names on the board oh. and he said, when you got a joke in, he put you a... Kidding? no. It was horrible, evidently. There were a lot of scars. I'm so happy I wasn't there for that one. Uh, People were just falling apart, nosebleeds. It was awful. Um, It's horrific. Yeah, it really was.
0: Um, I want to ask before we move on and talk about some of the uh, drama rooms that you've been in, Ash. Um, What what did you see as your role in the sitcom
3: rooms you've been been in? Oh God, my role! I was kind of—I uh, had a writing partner for many years, particularly when I was in sitcoms, which is pretty common. Uh, and it was definitely—we you had—you want to support one another, uh, teams. But sometimes you, you people knew it when you were doing it. Like they, he, one guy would say a joke, and you go, ah, "That's hilarious!" And people would go, "No, it's not. You're just doing that to support your partner." You're right. Um, but I was kind of uh, my partner and I were really. Uh, I guess if we had to be pigeonholed, we were strong draft writers, which it was really important because, uh, you, you know, there could be people that were strong joke people and that's fine. But then when it came to draft time, the people you'd never know quite what you were going to get. And we always worked extremely hard to make sure that our drafts were, uh, structurally sound and really good. And then spent a lot of time on the jokes. Cause that would be, you know, that's where we sort of, um, excelled, I think. And, uh, Uh, without each other, it's just been abysmal. And I don't really know where (laughs) I fit anymore. No, but that that was early on my career. And so I've always struggled to make sure that the draft... And and sometimes in sitcoms, people didn't. People just sort of tried to cover up the fact that the story wasn't working with tons of jokes. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, that was always a problem.
0: Yeah, I mean, it shows when when that draft comes in. It absolutely shows, and it leads to more work down the line. Right. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll come back okay. to that. Uh, Ash, let's talk about looking at your uh, credits. I don't know that you've been in a typical drama writer's room.
2: Um, the, yeah. show, the shows you've been on have been kind of strange. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I think, you know, Zach and I, my writing partner, Zach Stance and I have worked on four different shows, uh, and I think we've been in six different basic kinds of Writers' rooms over the course of that because of people coming in and being replaced. And then you discover that there's about a hundred different ways to break a story, and you try them all until you find the right one. Um, sarcophagus. <laughs> Shit, you're right. I'm, I'm totally using that. Um, so now I have something new for my repertoire. But, but yeah, I mean, uh, the, um, I, we started our career on a, a show called Andromeda, which Kevin Sorbo went to after Hercules. And, you know, there is no training ground for a writer like a syndicated action show where you have one five an episode. Um, You've got a guy who, you know, at that point in time, he was legitimately a star. And, you know, you develop an ego. And look, Kevin was very good to us and a very nice guy. And, you know, I don't have to say that. He actually really was. Um, But they have certain... Expectations for how things are going to go. And, oh, by the way, they consume about half the budget. Um, you don't have any time to shoot. You don't have any time to prep. So a lot of what you learn is how to address an ego. You learn how to address a limited budget. You learn how to break things very quickly. Because we were doing 22 episodes um, for no money, and we had you know four writing entities. So in that first season... As staff writer, Zach and I wrote four episodes. We had two story credits. It was it was crazy and it was great. And that never happens. Um, you know, about halfway through the second season of that show, the showrunner and creator, um, one of my best friends in the world, godfather to my child, who by the way would tell you um, that there is nothing wrong with dinosaurs, that dinosaurs are the bacon of entertainment. They go with everything. And if only you had known, you could have called him and used him as a resource because. He could he could tell you all kinds of stuff about about dinos, but uh, but I digress. Anyway, uh, he was fired. Not my son, the showrunner. Sometimes I try to fire my son, but he he's so cute. I just keep rehiring. Him. Um, and we had a period where some of the, the senior writers in the room were kind of running things, and it was a little bit like um, how it must have been, uh, you know, being in the command staff for Joseph Stalin. You know, it's like he might shoot someone. It's so just keep your head down and do your job and pretend like you're winning. Um, and then another showrunner came in the third season, and he had a completely different way of doing things, which really can be summed up with every Friday afternoon, walking in about four o'clock and saying, you guys want a beer? It's like, well, sure. That sounds great. Um, you know, they were all all different. And so I don't know that I could say anything was typical. Probably the, the closest to typical was on Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, but what was atypical, I think, about that room, was that, I, I've, first of all, I've, it was one of the great creative experiences of my life. Every writer on that show was amazing. Uh, I mean, everybody was great. There was nobody that I, I thought, well, what are you doing here? Um, they were all awesome in their own way, and it was like a family, so of course, you know, we fought, um, and uh, we drank. And I, is that like a family, or is that Vikings? So I always get confused. Well, that's what
0: you get from a Josh Friedman room. Right, anyway. exactly. <laughs>
2: Um, but this was his first show, right?
0: He had never run a show before. Correct. Uh, and you guys had been on shows before, and he was coming from features, if I'm, I'm not wrong. Uh, so theoretically, you guys knew more about being in a room than the
2: showrunner did. Oh, yeah, he was totally ignorant. Um, <laughs> you know, we had to carry that guy. Uh, but we actually, you know, Josh had, um, he had a, a, uh, a mentor. Uh, I'll put it that way. He had a co-showrunner, John Wirth, who has been around forever. John Wirth. Um, is the guy who discovered John Wells, was John Wells' mentor. I mean, you know, he found Sean Ryan and Damon Lindelof and all those guys with Carlton Cuse and kind of brought them up. And and the great thing about uh, John Worth, J-Dub, was that he was one of those few guys who goes into a show as the co-showrunner and doesn't get into creative fights with the guy who created the show, that it was Josh's show, creatively, it was 100 percent his show, and JDub just made the trains run on time, and I would run through a brick wall for that guy. Wow.: That's good to hear.
0: Um, how, tell me a little bit about the nuts and bolts of Sarah Connor, uh, and, like, how did you guys break? It's a heavily serialized story, but it did have a show, but it did have, you know, these sort of individual episodes, uh, slightly episodic. Uh, format how did you
2: guys break seasons how did you break episodes and you guys were hit with the writer's strike also right yeah oh yeah the writer's strike happened almost literally as we premiered and it was a huge premiere and we were halfway through um, we were halfway through writing the season we were a quarter of the way through producing the season Uh, the last half of the first season had to be uh, posted and and finished by you know people who weren't writers on the show um, we were lucky enough that the non-writing producer on the show was just an incredibly smart and creative guy and understood what Josh wanted from it and you know, took care of it as though it were Josh to the best of his ability. Um, so we were very fortunate. But yeah, it kind of cut us off at the knees. The, the truth of the matter is that it was a very difficult show to write. Josh himself at one point said, you know, I don't think I know what this show is but I know what it isn't. And, you know, in some ways I, I think that was an advantage because what it did was it opened up opportunities for us to do different kinds of storytelling and try different kinds of things. And, um, you know, it was, uh, there were times when we would say, all right, well, how are we going to arc this out and kind of where do we want to go? But, you know, Josh was very much, and still is, it's not like he's dead, uh, uh, a <laughs> sarcophagus, a, uh, a see, it still works, a slow burn guy. You know, he didn't. He just liked to do, like, you know, little peels of story, kind of an episode at a time. Um, what we got into in the second season was doing what Natalie Chides, who worked on Heroes, called doing pods of just planning out three episodes in advance, but knowing where the season was going. And that's kind of how we did it. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, And and the same question, uh, what did you guys, what do you and Zach bring to a room? What do you think your strengths are?
2: Uh, Definitely dick jokes. Um, Of course. Yeah, and Zach is (laughs) like... Doesn't every writer bring that uh, to the room? Yeah, (laughs) that's true. Yeah, but ours were like really good. Um, And Zach actually had this uh, unerring ability to know... Um, where the craft services truck would be <laughs> and when it would be there. And we'd be looking around, we'd be thinking, where's Zach? And suddenly he'd walk in with a plate full of food and like a burger in his mouth and he'd just, burr, 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 and it was awesome. Um, you know, I, I think that what Zach and I brought and I, and I think this is really the thing that has defined us um, in terms of our feature career is number one, we think of ourselves as structure guys. Mm-hmm. You know, it's literally just saying, well, what's the story and how are we telling it and how are we getting there um, and why does it feel true to us? And the second thing is, um, I think that we were pretty good at finding the emotion in these just incredibly bizarre, you know, weird circumstances. I think it's, there are a lot of um, people who write genre who I think write down to it Um you know, they just think, oh, well, I'm just, you know, telling the story about the killer robot or, like, the man with no face or whatever the hell it is. And they don't quite stop to think, well, what is it like if that's your world? Um, if, you know, something happens, what do they do? I mean, perfect example, you know, the with uh, with Terminator... It would have been very easy to write Cameron, who, Summer Glau, uh, who was our, our Terminator character, a certain way. Um, it would have been very easy to, number one, you know, first of all, just at first making her just a killing machine and then sort of gradually going, well, she really has a soul and she really has feelings and she really cares. Um, and actually taking the time to say, wait a second, does she, you know really care, it's like, it, and I think that the best Cameron moments came from really being true to Cameron as a character, not as a function, mm-hmm. and I think that in terms of the, the genre material, that was something that Zach and I really brought to the table That that Josh did as well, was that commitment to saying, let's be true to what this is, and let's find the emotion, and let's kick people in the ass with it
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's especially valuable in talking about television where you know, it it would be so easy for it to be the the sci-fi machine. That's right. Yeah. Um, we've talked a lot uh, already about structure, and uh, Kelly, I want to talk to you about uh, feature writing structure and sort of again the nuts and bolts of your process. Uh, you write, uh, you don't write with a partner, is that correct? No, I don't. Um, it, that seems awful to me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I write with a partner, and these guys have both written with partners, and like structure can be the most difficult part of telling your story, mm-hmm. you must just bang your head against a wall constantly. Um, Not really a question, just a statement. Yeah, <laughs> <It's laughs> uh, Now, What does what your process look like when it's time to break a story, to put a, a feature together, a feature story together?
1: Um, my, my process looks like a complete nightmare. <laughs> I don't um, have one. <laughs> uh, I literally just sit there and stare at the computer screen until my forehead starts to bleed. Um, I, I drive a lot of my writer friends mad because they outline and you know, write you know, massive, great, big treatments and make sure that they absolutely know how the entire story works before they um, script it, and that's the right way to do it. <laughs> I don't. I just um, start writing.
0: and so This is what everybody says not to do. Yes,
1: this is, don't <laughs> do this if you want to be a writer. I'm doing it the wrong way, um, but I do. But it's clearly working. <coughs> Um, God, I don't know. I hope so. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, no. What I end up with, though, is ve- is really, really overlong drafts. Mm-hmm. So I just write and write and write and write and write, and I'll end up with a 200-page mm-hmm. script, and then I'll start stripping it back and finding the structure within this enormous mess that I've wow.
0: created. So when you sit down to just start writing, do you start with page one? Yeah. Uh, And what do you you have in your head? Like, what are you armed with, if not the full story?
1: I mean, it really depends what I'm writing. If it's Fifty Shades of Grey, then I already have a book there, and so I know how that story goes, and I know what the beginning, the middle, and and the end is. So half my work's sort of done for me. Um, If it's something like Saving Mr. Banks, which is an original and there is no book to base it off of, then um, obviously I'll have done an enormous amount of research in the leading up to it, and a lot of pondering and <laughs> thinking. Um, and there, and so I'll, I will kind of know the story that I want to tell, but I just find that for me personally, doing outlines and treatments kind of takes away from the joy mm-hmm. of writing. Um, having said that, on both my television pilots, I very, very thoroughly outlined, and I, don't, I can't really explain why, but I think that TV shows have a very specific structure, it's spe- um, especially if you're writing to commercial break. Sure. Um, and so those I can't write without outlining. It's, I don't know, it's my brain, it's just weird.
0: <laughs> uh, let's, let's use Saving Mr. Banks as an uh, example. And I hear great things, I cannot wait to see it. Um, how long did the whole process take you? How much research? Uh, You know, happened before the actual sitting down to write, and and that research must be another process of you know winnowing away. What do I need to tell this story? And I mean, you must have had so much information going into it.
1: Actually, weirdly, there's not a lot of information about P.L. Travers, who's the lead character played by Emma Thompson. Um, uh, There's not a lot about her out there. There's one book, one biography, um, which is enormous. Um, by Valerie Lawson, and that's it. And, um, and then there's an enormous amount of stuff in the Disney archives, but they weren't on the project when I wrote it, so they, they weren't going to let me go and have a look, <laughs> have a fiddle around in their room. Um, so I literally just had that book and then, and then hundreds of books about Walt Disney. So there was a, there was a lot of research that went into those two characters... Um, But there really wasn't a lot out there about what had gone on during that period of time. Um, So I sort of had to make a lot of it up. And then once Disney bought the project, um, they opened up the archives and they gave me all the tapes from the rehearsal rooms. And
0: And do they buy it based on your uh, first script? Mm -hmm. Uh, so you didn't have to go and pitch this film to them.
1: I did not have to <laughs> go and pitch this film. They got there. There was a script, and and th- and that's what they bought. And and actually, it was a very very quick process. Once the research was done, I think the script took about two and a half months to to write. Oh wow! Yeah, and that's not that's not always the case, but this one just seemed to come really easily.
0: What is more typically the case for you?
1: Um, go, do you know what? I don't really. There isn't a. a a typical case. Some things just take longer. There are just some things where I'll wake up in the morning and, you know, think I'd rather shoot myself than have to write this today. Um, You know, there are days where you just don't feel like it. It's it's really hard, and, and I and I don't know how TV writers do it, where they literally have to, have to, have to do it. Well, I think
0: that's how they do it. Yeah. It's, you literally have, have to. You have to, have to
1: do it, yeah. I'll I I'm yeah, I'll try and force myself, but it, it's uh, really difficult. I don't know, with Save Mr. Banks, it just flowed, it was easy, but wow. sometimes it's really not.
0: I, I am curious about that, and it's something we're asked a lot, uh, like on Twitter and stuff, about what do you do on those days when you wake up and you can't write? Do you write, or do you say, it's not going to happen for me today?
1: Uh, I, no- I normally give in and just say it's not going to happen. <laughs> Today, I'm going to go for lunch. <laughs> um.
0: Sort of work, right? <laughs> yeah. You're thinking about it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Counts. Um, and then you know, suddenly I'm a week away from deadline. and I'm like, oh my god, <sighs> um, having a heart attack. So, and then I find that I really can force myself <laughs> to do it. So. Yeah, deadlines I'm, go a long way. Yeah. I make all these stupid rules for myself as well, like, oh, it's got dark, I can't write now, you know?
0: Oh, now it's light.
1: (laughs) Oh, it's not the right time, yeah.
0: I can't write on an empty stomach. (laughs) I'm too full to write. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, I think we all kind of do that. Um, We'll come back, I have more questions. (laughs) Um, Kel, this is something I'm always curious about from, um, especially people who have worked on a number of different shows, um, and, you know, folks who have been in rooms with lots of other people, uh, television is such a collaborative medium. Uh, have you had opportunity, or, or even, you know, can you, is there a finished product you can look at from anything you've written that you can say, this is me, this is getting my point of view across, uh, or this is even just a scene, this is something that uh, reflects what I'm trying to do as a writer?
3: Wow. I think so. I cannot remember exactly. There's so many of them, but that there definitely have been some, certainly, uh, you know, let's see, go back in the TV. Or, or even
0: anything that's been, you know, satisfying in a way. That, oh, there's
3: definitely been some really uh, satisfying.
0: Others ones. haven't. Uh, yeah,
3: like what? Definitely. Well, you know, uh, when we first started out, um, my writing partner and I, uh, we were just struggling along, and... We had heard that Larry David, this was in the 90s, and Larry David takes uh, pitch ideas for Seinfeld. And, and it was a little secret that, you know, he would take sentence, a couple sentences. And just one of our friends, or one of my writing partner's friends worked on the show, and he said, just come up with 10 ideas, and, and Larry might hire you to write a freelance. And we're like, that sounds good. So we, we worked, 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 and came up with 10 ideas. And then our friend was on the staff, and he gave them to Larry David. And evidently, Larry read the first one and winced. And he didn't. and just threw it aside, and we, that was what we got back as well. All right, well, let's get back to our Fraser spec. <laughs> um, and then, you know, a week or so later, my old writing partner had been a comic in the '80s, and he had a very specific act. And Larry David and, Larry, and Jerry Seinfeld were fans of his act, but he didn't. He didn't stay with uh, stand-up comedy. He, did, he, he had too, a short attention span. He didn't. Wasn't really work. On his routine night after night, and so the waitresses at Catch a Rising Star loved him because he came in with something new every night, and they hate anybody like Jerry who's honing his craft because they had to listen to the same <laughs> jokes every night. And one of those was uh, uh, what's her name, Pat Benatar. Little little story. She was a waitress at Catch a Rising Star. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. Um, Anyway, he called us up a week later, and you know, hey, how you doing? It's uh, Larry David. Uh, yeah, this uh, George is a gigolo. This is, I like this. This is You want to write this? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, I don't know how you do this. I don't know. You got an agent? Or, yeah. All right. Them call me. And that was it. And <laughs> we like, you know, the biggest thing in our life that ever in our certainly in our career that just happened, and it was just, what was that? I don't know. Well, let's do it. So with it, with really no guidance, we didn't we didn't go there to break it. We, he just told us we had this idea where George is a gigolo, and we just wrote it, and uh, it worked out great. And did we, you just write that storyline? No, we had a couple of storylines okay. that we put with it. Uh, you know, because in Seinfeld there was almost there was an A B C yeah. and almost D story, and as it, they didn't really. They sort of invented this, what you call the Sangfeldian weave, where they all sometimes dovetailed at the end, and they, that just sort of happened, because they didn't really know how to write a sitcom, and they just they'd look at the board, and they go, oh, there's a Jerry story, but there's a little Kramer story. What do we do? And they just sort of found their way into doing it, which is probably why the show was so great, because it was kind of different in that respect. It wasn't, you know, Cheers was one of the greatest shows, but Cheers was, those guys were craftsmen, and uh, Larry David was just a crank that didn't... <laughs> I kept trying to fire him, you know, it was like, because he, you know, Brandon, uh, Warren Littlefield would give notes and he go, oh, that's terrible. I don't like that. And he goes, I'm the head of the network. Oh, I don't care. It's dumb. And then he go, we're going to fire you if I go, Jerry goes. And then Jerry would be like, I don't really want to go. I, this is so much better than the road. And, um, but he, managed, he was just so good and it was so great. And then Brandon Tartikoff's wife said, "I like it. Don't cancel it." And he's like, "Okay." And that's why they made a billion dollars. That's NBC wanted to cancel it. So anyway, um, what was I talking about? Oh, anyway, so we—that oh, we, episode that you—that episode right. was we wrote this freelance script for him, and it was just us because we didn't get any feedback from him. He was busy doing the show, and uh, it was—we was, were so proud of it. And really, to this day, I pull it out and go, God, "That was good." And um, didn't get on the air. You know, he, he kind of, our, our storyline was that George uh, is still living at home. I, mean, I don't know if you remember in the series, George is living at home. It's gotten so bad that he can't afford an apartment. So he lives at home. And in our storyline, he, um, he, he's also now, he, he has no money, so he's on an allowance again. His parents put him on an allowance, and he has chores. And, uh, and it's very embarrassing. Of course, he's always talking about it. And uh, his mother sends him over to her friend, Mrs. Schachter's apartment, because she needs some furniture moved. And he can't believe it. He's got to go move this lady's furniture. And then in the midst of moving it, she's saying, hey, you look sweaty. Take your shirt off, George. And this is an old lady. And and he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then she she ends up giving him gifts. And uh, basically, he's squiring her around town. Like he shows up at Jerry's place, he's got a new suit with an overcoat and a and a silver uh, cigarette case falls out with his initials. He doesn't smoke, and he's forced to admit that uh, I'm seeing an older woman. He goes, well, "How much older? Uh, decades." I squire her. That's all I do. Only squire. hasn't gone any past that. So that was the episode, and it was a lot of fun. And you know, of course, you you know, um, it didn't involve any of the room, and we just had a blast. And that sh- that. Ep- that script, if you will, got us uh, our job. It got us into the, you know, on staff of oh, uh, really? the shows, and and we end up we use that, and you know we would go on a, sh- you know, like John Larroquette shows where we started and. We weren't using those scripts to get another job, and that just got us another job after that. That pretty much got us on uh, Larry Sanders. That, I want to ask
0: about uh, those two shows, yeah. actually. Uh, Larroquette was such an interesting show. Yeah. Uh, that was so dark, especially yeah. for the time. Yeah. Um, what was the tenor in the room on that show?
3: Well, that's when, when we got there it was at the end, and uh, the brilliant uh, Mitch Hurwitz was running it, who, if you guys know, Arrested Development. And Mitch, uh, Mitch is wonderfully crazy. I mean, just... <laughs> insane and it was um managed chaos and uh you know it'd be like welcome to the mind of mitch and we'd all sit around a table and just come up with stuff and and we got pretty bizarre right there before we got canceled it was the, the, the it, was it was really, really sort of him sort of experimenting with the kinds of uh things that he'd end up doing on arrested development i mean this, this crazy stuff sort of but even even crazier in some ways but uh, that uh, w- was uh, a lot of a lot of fun in a way you know uh, we p- we knew we were going to be canceled cuz they just couldn't keep putting this crap on <laughs> i mean it was just too crazy and laracat was just this was nuts you know and uh, so yeah that I, what was the question again i've almost i, I was completely just curious about how again.
0: how things were on that room and you fans in R- yeah yeah Um, And I'm also curious about Larry Sanders, uh, how that show came together. Are you guys all familiar? You're all very young, but have you seen the Larry Sanders show? Yeah. Yeah.
3: You should see it if you haven't seen it. It was a great, great show.
0: Uh, What was that room like? How many writers were there? How did the show come Uh, together?
3: It was a lesson in torture. Uh, It was, um, when we were there, there must have been about seven writers or eight, maybe eight, sometimes. One too many. Well, the room was, Gary really, really a good writer. He's also uh, a deeply unhappy person. Uh, if you're listening, you uh, wouldn't care. Uh, and he, he believed in unhappiness as the motor for all comedy. And if you came in looking happy, then you, you were in trouble. He would have to figure out a way to make you feel not happy. Uh, and, it, and, and, you, and he worked. It, or he was extremely uh, good at being this sort of passive-aggressive. Um, so that was a really, you know, for such a great... And, and if you watch the show, these people are all riddled with insecurities. And they come from, you know... Everybody's writing from a place that they know a lot about. And, and he believes very much in that. And um, it was, you know, we would have, you know... God, at one point, in retrospect, you think, wow, we would have a, a punch-up. And there, Judd Apatow would be coming in once a week. He was a good friend of Gary's. And he'd come in and do punch-up. And there's John Stewart, who was with us for a while. And you're, you're all kind of sitting around eating chips and then not really... Of course, you don't have a crystal ball, but not realizing, oh, my God, these guys are going on to the moon. I'm going to stay here on Earth. But, but that was great, you know, and, and a lot of really, really uh, talented people. And, uh, you know, it, it was that show it was very specific. And, you know, you, you had to be willing to crash and burn in order to get to the place where, you know, Gary... Would, and if Gary thought it was really good, if something you've written is really good, you felt... I mean, I, 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 probably too much. I was in awe of him. I just thought he was, he was such a great comedian and such a good voice. And uh, so when he liked something that you, you did, you were walking on air, and then he would quickly uh, <laughs> puncture your balloon and you'd be back down. And, uh, and then he'd go off, go off and write some more.
0: Um, I mean, there must have been... It, it sounds like there was a sort of striving for an emotional honesty in that comedy. No question. <laughs> it
3: was. And the honesty was always, we we're all miserable. Right. And that's what binds <laughs> us together. Very specific, emotionally. Really, yeah, it, yeah. That, yeah.
0: There was one right answer. Um, yeah. But, I mean, you, you've worked on these multicam shows. Yeah. I mean, Just Shoot Me is a great example. Um, you know, wh- what is the striving, what is the ambition on those shows? I mean, wow. I, you know, like, was Levitan running the room when you were there?
3: No, he was, he was the Uberman. Okay. Uh, he had another show on the air, and some uh, guys had been on the show for a while. were oh. running it, um, but he would swoop in.
0: Which, he, which he is he an even stranger in. situation. I mean, it's yeah. you're basically all on someone else's show. Yes. Um, what do you What do you try to do then? And I, and I ask this. I mean, I've been on shows in the first season. I've been on shows no. in the seventh season. No. It's a very different game.
3: Really, really, very much so. You know, to shoot me was. Yeah, I'm trying to think about it. I mean, the, the, like, I compare it, and 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 giving it props to both shows. When I worked on news radio, news radio was 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 uh, we didn't have a normal room. There was nothing normal. We 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 played video games until midnight, and then we'd start working because that's when Paul Sims woke up. He was a a a vampire, and uh, that show we we were always writing at the last minute. But that. That one was—you could see it if you watched the show. A lot of times there'd be some really, really great jokes, some super smart jokes, and really funny. And then sometimes the story would just run out of steam in the second half because people were writing at four o'clock in the morning the day before the table read. Just shoot me was a much more disciplined place where um, it was—I it, think it was a little more uh, classic uh, comedy, if you will. It was—you it was, know—it when it it did really well at times. It really—you know—was a was a really good classic comedy. But um, in terms of probably some of my favorite stuff, I think I would lean more towards news radio because there would be those moments where it was just jokes that you'd never seen or you know really funny stuff that came out of real character moments. Well, and news
0: radio was another one that, yeah. I mean, it was sort of like Larraquette in that way. Is it, it was a show that wasn't happy just to you know make a sitcom. It, you guys were always trying something new. There was always something interesting about it. It was always about the characters in a very specific right. way.
3: And it was always about to be cancelled. So they always... <laughs> treated it that way they yeah. are always saying this is it fellas so let's just <laughs> do something weird and you know we'll we'll go out with a bang and then they pick it up again and it, so they go oh crap here we are again but they they sort of lived like that uh, uh, you know always on sort of let's experiment like you said well, yeah it's freeing in a way yeah.
0: um zach i want to ask you uh, zach
2: which, uh, Ashley. It's fine. Our wives I do the same you, thing. It's, I want
0: to uh, ask you very quick. Well, my partner has the same name as me, so it, right. it happens. <laughs> that, that keeps but, <laughs> it easy. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you very quickly before we take a couple questions from these guys. Um, you guys have written features. You have written television. Which one
2: wins? Um, I think, look, I am extremely <laughs> proud of, uh, of Thor and X-Men First Class. I'm extremely proud of every feature script I've ever written. Um, But I have to tell you, there is, in my opinion, a reason why uh, the overall quality of television is so much higher Mm -hmm. on nearly every level in nearly every respect than features. And on the TV side, it has everything to do with the writers and the creative authority and uh, freedom to create, that they're given, <laughs> Vince Gilligan, um, and on the feature side, it has everything to do. Um, but, well, I'm not going to say everything. Um, I think in part it has to do with the fact that uh, the the writer is disempowered in many ways, and there are ways that writers can. Um, change the equation a bit and exert influence and power. I think writers have more power and features than they understand. Um, But ultimately, I think a lot of the wrong people are hired uh, to uh, push movies into production and, and get them made. And, you know, the smartest guy in the room is sitting there with an opinion and most feature writers don't have enough experience as writers, dealing with the collaborative process, dealing with the process of making film, um, you know, just being surrounded by the unrelenting fabulousness of it all to raise their hand and say, uh, <clears throat> bullshit." Yeah. yeah, you should applaud for him. Uh, is there
0: <laughs> Is there an audience, Mike? in charge here. Anybody
2: named Mike in the audience?
0: There's no audience, Mike? No? Yeah, see if you can
2: get one. I will. Uh, I
0: actually have one more question I want to just very quickly ask the three of you. Um, and you guys have some questions, right? You're getting them ready? Okay, good. Um, is there a, f- a fourth mic over there? All right, maybe we can use that. Uh, what is, uh, and starting with Kel, what is the worst or strangest or funniest note you've gotten from executives, from um, really from anyone who wasn't in the writer's room?
3: I helped on a pilot, so it was a, some friends, uh, and it actually was uh, two good friends of mine, uh, a writing team, and Levitan, and they had a pilot for ABC. And uh, I won't tell you who the executive was, but he was a big guy at ABC, and he said, uh, after the table read for the, for the script for the pilot, he said at the end of it, the lead character's name was Ben, Ben, and he, uh, he was, and he was, you know, in the Chicago newsroom, and he wants to be on air, and, and they say, you don't have the knowledge or the experience, so they, he ends up going to New Mexico to work in a quirky TV station to earn his bones so he can come back, and the, the note was afterward, and this guy's running a network, and he says, you know, I, say, I just don't know what Ben wants. And my friend Alan Cohen says, well, <clears throat> on page two, it says, uh, I want to be on TV. I want to be on the news. And he goes, yeah, that's just not landing for me. Do we need to add a really? I really want to be on TV news? I mean, that's when, that's when everybody looked at it and said, well, this isn't happening. This isn't going forward. Yeah. So that was the, that was the dumbest one, I guess you might want
0: to say. So good. Right. Uh, Kelly, What am I
1: I think mine was probably when I was writing Westbridge, which is the show about um, the uh, death penalty, and was asked whether I could just make sure that nobody died in it. (laughs) (laughs) It's too depressing. Fantastic. (laughs)
2: Um, Look, no matter what you're doing or what you're working on, uh, the notes process is often just a trip through the surreal, it's all very (laughs) animated Beatles movie. Um, But without question the strangest, worst, it was like a couplet uh, of notes that we got when we were working on on Terminator, our very first episode uh, a large portion of it originally before we discovered that this was expensive took place in a concentration camp. Um, Camp Whiskey Bravo, WB. Maybe they took that personally, I don't know. But um, it's 2027 There are Terminator endoskeletons walking around. There are HKs in the sky. The sky is black from nuclear fallout. Everyone is just, they're huddled and they're dirty and they're grimy and they haven't eaten and it's terrible and it's horrible. And the note, the first note, from the studio executive who, by the way, total sweetheart, very nice person who once gave us a really great note, in fairness. (laughs) We don't want says, to hear about that. Well, you know, we really love this scene and this sequence, but how do we know that we're in the future? Uh, uh, yeah, we'll get back to you on that. We'll put a chiron on it. Yeah, we'll put a chiron on it. That was the answer. The I second note was, that. well, okay, yeah, we, we can see that, that, you know, maybe that the robots and the, and the things in the sky that, that people... But how will... How will we know what the stakes are? It's a concentration camp. Oh. Uh, that was literally, that was, yeah. So there you go. It's, sometimes they just have a list they have they to go and They just <laughs> do. It's like, look, man, it's like it's not personal, but they make us ask these dumbass no. questions.
0: All right. Uh, let's, let's take a couple of your questions. Uh, who has one? I thought you guys said you have questions. (laughs) Okay, here's what's going to happen, though. You're going to ask the question. I'm going to repeat it so it gets recorded, and then they'll answer it. Are you okay with these terms? The question is about your writing partners. How did you find each other? And I would add, how do you work together? Because everybody kind of does it differently.
2: Uh, okay. So this is true. I swear to God. Uh, met my writing partner on the internet in 1995 when the internet was cans in string um, and dinosaurs walked the earth. That's actually, people don't know. Terra Nova was actually set in 1995. <laughs> Um, I mean, and this was, you know, the time of the usual suspects when you can get away with somebody not getting a picture because it takes, like, six days for a shot of Kaiser Soze to, like, get faxed over the phone line, right? Um, And we were on opposite sides of the country. We were arguing about Star Trek. And, um... (laughs) You know, I sort of came in on his side. It was the Great Flame Wars of the 90s. And, you know, a lot of good men died. And, um... You know, there was just a, a moment, I was like Achilles in his tent and they just came to me and they said, look, you have to fight. So I did and, um, and I got an email from Zach saying, Ashley, you rule the universe. And I said, well, yeah. And um, we started emailing back and forth and we both figured out that we wanted to be writers and that we had been writing. We uh, showed each other what we'd been working on. We decided to start collaborating. We wrote two and a half screenplays together uh, without ever having seen a picture or meeting. It was all over the internet, over the telephone. We have the phone bills framed uh, to prove it. Um, and, you know, it was just... That was kind of how everything in our collaboration began was just we write each other back and forth. You know, it's like letters. It's like, you know, Griffin and Sabine, if anybody remembers that. Only, like, you know, not all, you know, fluffy.
0: Did, were you guys at in those early stages, were you... Working on stuff that the two of you had come up with together or working on each other's individual things?
2: We were blindly stealing other people's projects. Um, <laughs> and actually, we, you know, we, and we've always kind of done this, we will talk about things that interest us, um, areas that sound cool. Sometimes it's like a drunken bar bet, um, and usually those have been our, our most successful scripts. And, you know, Zach once answered a, a version of that question that once upon a time somebody asked uh the beatles wow that's a comparison um you know how do you know what song to write and i think it was john lennon who said well it's the one that you're humming the next day and that's been kind of how we've decided what we wanted to write it's are we still humming it the next day after we've talked about it we talk about story and the things that we love and we think are cool constantly um and it's a lot because zach knows everything
0: uh, and I remember, and, and I should say, Ash and I talked on the podcast like a month ago, um, and you guys should go download that, and there's lots of good stuff in there. And we talked about Thor for like a half hour. Um, but uh, you guys still kind of work the
2: way you started working, right? Where you don't even look at each other when
0: no, you're No, we not... can't look
2: each other in the eye because it's like a dog um, violence. Uh, no, I mean, we, we do. I mean, Zach is at his house. I'm at my house. We're a little closer than 2,800 miles now. Um, it's like maybe five minutes um, we discuss everything over instant message over email sometimes we'll get together um, you know and we'll kind of go through things but we will plan like it's the invasion of Poland um, and then we'll split it up and we'll we'll start to write but we're constantly passing things back and forth to each other and you know we came up with some rules early on to support the fact that we were working over the internet and it really kind of served us in good stead. And, you know, the the first rule was the story is boss, period. It didn't matter who had written what, when they wrote it, how important it was, whether it came from their heart and their soul and the deepest part of themselves. It was the most important thing that they had ever done. If it sucked, it went, or it changed, or if it didn't serve the story, it was gone, or if there was a better version, we did it. And the second rule to support that rule was the first writer proposes, the second writer disposes, which means that, you know, if I write a draft of something and I give it to Zach and Zach changes something, I can't just go back and change it. I have to make my case to Zach, and it's his decision to make as to whether or not my case makes any sense. Luckily, I was once captain of my debate team.
0: (laughs) But that's neither here nor there. Captain of the debate team, arguing Star Trek on the internet, ladies. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I Sorry, know. he's taken. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kel, tell us about your uh, partnership, how you found well, your partner. Well,
3: we're not together anymore. We haven't been for quite a while, but we were together for 10 years. And we didn't meet in such a cool way arguing about Star Trek. <laughs> we uh, met through a mutual friend, actually, a woman I was dating. My wife's here. It was long ago. Sounds like I a much cooler story than mine. And, uh, and it was just, you know, we started going to breakfast together, uh, just hanging out. And we'd go to breakfast quite a bit. And he always ate pancakes. And uh, I remember that. I was thinking, man, you've got to stop eating pancakes every morning. You're going to get big as a house. And then we um, we just sort of drifted into it. He, he, you know, it, our version of Star Trek was just comedy that we loved. And he 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 had me probably before I had him. He had a, a great character uh, called the German comic, which he used to do uh, in New York in stand-up. And, of course, no offense to you, those of you who are German – but the Germans aren't funny. <laughs> and so that would be the joke. He would, he would, And I'm going to do it on a podcast. Maybe you'll hear this. Because I'll do a really lame version of what he used to do. But Teinfeld and all those guys really loved this joke. And he, his name was Wolfgang uh, Schmier. And I'm from Germany and I'm a comedian. And I tell jokes. I will tell you a joke now and you will laugh. What is the difference between the Dutch automobile and the German automobile? <laughs> you, you give up? The... The Dutch automobile runs on windmills, but the German automobil- automobile runs on gasoline and diesel fuel. Thank you. You may laugh now. And then we'd, we'd see Jerry Seinfeld. Gasoline and diesel fuel. Not a day goes by that we don't laugh about the German comic. Why you got out of the game, I don't know. And, uh, you know, when, I, when he told me that, I was like, well, all right, uh, what do I got to do? I got to make you my partner. That's that's genius. And what, what
0: were you doing at the time? Were you writing? I was Did living on the floor up? at some friends
3: of mine apartment. And they, they, um, they smoked a lot of marijuana. And so they really weren't aware that there was a person living on their floor. <laughs> so I wrote that for about six months. I was flailing. I, was, I had quit my good career and decided to become a writer. And What I, was your good career? Well, it, I had an MBA from UT. And I was in, uh, yeah, venture capital. I was ahead of the curve, though. <laughs> All those people have gone on to make gajillions, but uh, I was early on. And, uh, yeah, I just had to pursue something I wanted to, and I just put everything in my car and went to L.A. and lived on my stoner f- friend's floor and met Tom. And then, you know, we just, it was great. We, we, we really had a great run. And, uh, um, yeah, just remember great, great times, and particularly in comedy, it was just so much fun.
0: Had he done writing on his own? He had. He had been,
3: you know, he'd done some TV writing but he was in New York and he uh, basically, his wife was in law school and so he had some crummy job helping pay the bills and at the same time he wrote a screenplay that he sold at the same time she got a job at a great law firm in LA. I mean you couldn't design something better than that. that. But he came out to LA and he was trying to write a second screenplay and was struggling with it and that's when we became friends. And uh, he told me about the German comic, and I said, well, let's, let's, let's write something together. That's fantastic. Yeah.
0: Um, Kelly, do you think you would like to get a writing partner?
1: No, thank you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Isn't that you think no one else could handle your process? <laughs> Probably,
1: yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't want to inflict myself on anybody. Oh, come It'd on. It would be awful. It's got dark. Um, I wa-
0: <laughs> Listen, if you were my partner and we're like, It got dark, and we're done awesome <laughs> i could not we would only write during the fall it would be yeah. great um let me ask you i want to make sure we cover this uh 50 shades of gray you have been tasked with adapting this
1: i've done it it's finished
0: how's it how did it go it was great how? <laughs> <laughs> what what was your process for that like had you read the book already no, no. Did I you say ad- you did? adapted w- it? Out. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> before yeah. getting the job. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I read the book um, and then uh, went in and met everybody, and then and that was it.
0: Was it one of these things where you had to? Uh, did they kind of see a bunch of writers and then they did? Um, so you had to go in and kind of give your take on it, right?
1: Um, do you know? I didn't because right. I was on. I was. <laughs> I was filming Saving Mr. Banks at the time, and John Lee, the director, had. Um, wanted me to be on set every day and that was um oh wow. i know it was really really fantastic. i know he's an amazing 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 uh, collaborator and a brilliant man i love him <laughs> and i only want to work with him for the rest of my <laughs> life <laughs> Um, uh, so I couldn't actually go in and pitch on, on Fifty Shades, but I, I, there were a lot of writers that did have mm-hmm. to go in and do like PowerPoint presentations yeah. and all uh, mood boards and all kinds of stuff. I am so trying to imagine that on Fifty Shades. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> what those look like.
1: You, is it hard to imagine? <laughs> oh, kind of one of the... No,
2: yeah. It was
0: the same as your X-Men first class, pitches.
1: Yeah. With <laughs> uh, Just a bit more nudity. Um, <laughs> Only a bit, though. <laughs> huh? Only a bit. <laughs> yeah, only a little bit.
0: Um, so how did, how did it wind up in your hands?
1: I ju- um, Erica, the author, E.L. James and I just sort of got on like a house on fire and I showed her pictures of Colin Farrell with his top off on our set. <laughs> <laughs> and that did it. <laughs>
0: That'll do it. That'll do it. Guys, <laughs> if you want to get a job, writing for the movies. <laughs> um, and, and how was the process for you? Did it come easily? Was it an easy book to adapt? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Give us something, come on!
1: Oh God, I can't what talk was, about it. Well, but
0: can you tell us what was uh, a particular challenge with this?
1: Um, uh, there, uh, there's an enormous amount of sex in Fifty Shades of Grey. I'm not so The big with it. challenge was trying to decide which of those scenes we were going to put in, and, and ha- you know how many of them. Um, and the the um, what was it, the climax? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and the nerdist panel just evolves. Into <laughs> wherever I am, it just everything just evolves <laughs> into
0: this. I would say it evolved.
1: <laughs> um, it really was that. It was really like having to sit around and decide what you know what were the fan favorites and what you know we were going to keep in I, and what that, we were going to lose. That was
0: something I was curious about because obviously this has a huge uh, fan base, and it was it had to be something you were keeping in mind
1: what the fans, the fans. Uh, yeah absolutely absolutely you can't adapt that book and not um, pay attention to what the fans think it's all about mm-hmm. them and and, uh, and the same with things like thor
0: and mm-hmm.
1: you know they're rabid the right. people that love these things and so at,
0: at any point though were you able to make it your own
1: yeah i think so i think it'll be surprising i don't think there's anything in there that they won't uh, that they'll be unhappy about but i, I think it's uh, um, probably going to be a surprising adaptation yeah all alright right, All right
0: I'll, 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 I'll see it. I won't see it.
3: <laughs>
0: All right, yes we have time for will. one more question. Yes. Do you ever feel trapped by your chosen genre, or is it cool? <laughs> do you, Would you like to do you know stuff that is not comedy?
3: Oh, I'd like to, but I don't think I'd be any good at it. <laughs> I really don't. I mean, I, I did one uh, pilot for ABC, which was... Uh, because uh, you know, I've worked on Psych, which is a show that's an hour long, but it is a lot of comedy, and all the writers are typically com- comedy writers, but I did one that was a little more serious, but in the end, it was... And probably why I didn't get picked up. It was like, I was... I can't help it. That's <laughs> the only thing I know how to do is be silly. So, uh, gosh, I wish I could. And, and maybe if I had believed in myself more, but I just don't. I don't believe in myself <laughs> at all.
0: Well, and that's why you're a comedy writer. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Ash, you're, you guys are deep into sci-fi and that kind of thing. uh, Would you like to try other things?
2: You know, it's funny, because when Zach and I started writing together, um, we thought we were going to be feature horror guys, and we ended up in television science fiction. Um, We wrote a uh, a, a kid's action movie uh, with Agent Cody Banks, because that made perfect sense, given everything else that we had done. (laughs) Um that was an experience and you know the the superhero thing was was kind of an accident I mean but there is there is that overriding theme of that we do genre and I don't feel trapped by that at all I I happen to to love it I'm steeped in it I'm an old-school nerd man I used to go to conventions when I was a kid you know when I was the kind of kid who would go to comic book conventions <laughs> and then get his ass kicked. Um, uh, you know, by the people at the convention for being too much of a nerd. And, um, <laughs> I mean, Jimmy Dewan slapped me on stage. It was, it was terrible. Uh, uh, but, you know, uh, so I love it. Um, and when I'm working in it, I don't, I don't think about the fact that I'm, I'm writing a genre piece. Uh, to me, it's just I'm writing a story. Now, do I like to do other stuff? Sure. Um, there's a reason why I wanted to do The Fall Guy, for example, which is totally different. I mean, it's basically, it's, it's an action movie, but it's fun, and it's go- I, this is going to sound insane to you people, but it's smart, uh, and it's cool, um, and there were things about just doing that that really appealed to me. There is not so much as a laser beam in that thing, <laughs> um, not even in the, the movie within the movie, so no, it's just, it's just story.
0: Um, I very quickly want to ask you guys, before we wrap up, uh, starting with Kelly, what are you watching on television? What movies are getting you excited? Is there stuff that's inspiring you?
1: I'm refusing to watch television now that Breaking Bad is over. I <laughs> can't bear it. I'm still in, in mourning. <laughs>
0: um,
1: movies. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of like... I'm a bit old school about my movies. I've, I've just been in London and staying at my dad's house, and so we've been watching all the kinds of things that he likes. So old films. like I found myself watching Seven Brides for Seven Brothers the other day and, and Harvey and, and movies like that. But um, I haven't been to the cinema for ages.
0: I don't blame you. Kel, <laughs> what, what are you watching? Uh, Do you watch you Hello, Ladies? Seen that? Will I love it?
1: Oh, Stephen Steven Merchant. yeah. How is
3: it? It, it? We think it's funny. I mean, we were watching it. It's really, it's funny. You know, it's it, it, it's territory that's been trodden a little bit, but he's so funny, and he's, he's he's brilliant. He really is. He's great. So I, we were watching that. In addition to, of course, Breaking Bad was the best show possibly in the history of television. It's just incredible, and you know, God, Walking Dead, all these well written shows that have taken over the movies because they don't make these kinds of movies anymore. You know, uh, Boardwalk Empire's a great show. I don't really watch that Oh, I like
1: Orange is the New Black. That was uh, good. My,
3: my wife loves that okay. one, yeah. And, you know, I'll still go back to watch It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia because for me, there's a half hour. That's the. It just makes me laugh. It's, they're hilarious. They're so awful. <laughs> awful, awful people.
2: Ash? Uh, you know, look, I, I think that Breaking Bad is a work of towering genius without question I mean it's Shakespearean tragedy it's fantastic it's also sadly gone but gone in a good way Um, that said I have to tell you I think that the best show on television my favorite show on television what I love watching more than anything else is Justified because that show is so smart it is so cool he is so good It is everyone on it. Everyone on it is amazing. It's incredibly well written. It the violence means something and it's real, but then it turns on a dime and it's hilarious and it's emotional. It's all of those things, Um, and I just I love Justified. Yeah, good answer. Correct. I was going to say
3: the exact (laughs) same thing about SpongeBob.
2: Right? Yeah, except you know what? Justified doesn't have Um, surfing on David Hasselhoff. Uh, Thank you guys so much
0: for being here. Please give them all a round of applause. Thanks to everyone at the Austin Film Festival. Bye.
1: (laughs) Now leaving nerdist.com.